Let's pray before we uh, open the word this morning. Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to come together in your name. We pray, God, that as we open your word, we, you would help us to understand it well. Help us to, right now, lay aside any kind of distraction that we would lean in together. And I would pray that you would grant me the clarity uh, that I may speak your word faithfully and clearly in Jesus' name. We all pray. Amen and amen. Well, uh, if you weren't here last week, we had a good time. We had some fun uh, in starting our series. I think it's there on the screen there. If we could put that up. Here we go. The myth and miracle of marriage. We're doing three weeks. This is the second of three weeks. And we welcome you, especially those who are participating online this morning, wherever you might be beaming in from, we do welcome you. It's great to have you here. And also, if you've been invited along this morning to church, it's great to have you here, maybe exploring the Christian faith. Welcome. These are great principles that we're going to all lean in together and learn from. But just as we get into part two, feel free to take out a notepad or a smartphone and open the, uh, the, the YouVersion app, which is the Bible app that we refer to, and it's uh, got some notes in there. And uh, if not, it's all going to be on the screen there anyway. But uh, I've, I'd like to do a bit of a recap of why, uh, what happened last week. But before I do, before I do, the reason we chose such a, uh, a series on the myth and miracle of marriage is, first of all, that we haven't done a series like this in four or five years, I think it is. And uh, this is a, a, an annual reminder for us, the importance, isn't it, of this value that uh, the Bible holds very, very high. And so we wanted to encourage and equip those who are married or maybe thinking of marriage uh, to have the tools and the spiritual understanding that we know that God wants us to have. I've been very clear from word go that this is a biblical message of God's plan for marriage. I talked about singleness briefly last week, and so if you weren't here, we certainly spoke into that, but we are doing a series later on in a couple of months' time about the myth and miracle of singleness, all right? And so hang in there for that. And so just to do a little bit of a recap of last week, what we talked about, we talked about the how the what and the why. We landed on the why of marriage last week, and I'll continue that just in a moment. But here's what we discussed. We discussed that this idea of marriage is God's idea, and it's His plan for the world. It's not a human plan. It's not a human idea. It's not a tradition that is to be thrown out. And we talked about a couple of myths. Do you remember that? We talked about a few myths. And uh, the myth of being married is being normal. It's a myth. Uh, that, another myth that marriage won't solve all my problems. In fact, marriage doesn't necessarily create problems. What does marriage do? Marriage reveals problems. You see, if I go into a marriage insecure, guess what marriage is going to do? It's going to reveal that insecurity. And so we talked a bit about that, um, and although the Bible certainly lifts marriage very, very high, it's not about my fulfillment. It's a place where we get to learn, and we are given an opportunity to, uh, to love, to grow, and to serve, and I'll talk a little bit more about that this week. Um, but we've also identified last week that marriage has been dismissed, it's been uh, demeaned, it's been delayed, and it's been even redefined. And we talked about three approaches. Who remembers the three approaches generally a society has to marriage? The first approach was the casual, the casual approach to marriage. I talked about this last week. 
Anyone remember the second approach to marriage we talked about? Very good. Wayne's got it down the front here. Anyone else? Contractual. That's it. And the third approach to marriage we talked about was covenant. Covenantal approach. A covenant approach to marriage. Marriage is a holy covenant established by God. What we mean by that is that it's an exclusive commitment. One, two, another. And uh, it matters to God. Marriage matters to God and it matters to us. I do have an update for those who were here last week in regards to the toothpaste. And it's still unresolved. So please pray for our marriage as we work that through. <laughs> listen in, by the way. Listen in. If you weren't here last week, feel free to check it out online on our website, doorofhope.org, or on our podcasts. The text we had in covering this particular series was from the New Testament, but in fact, Jesus refers back to the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, and Jesus is quoted as saying this, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What Jesus is doing here is, is this. He's reminding his listeners that in the original design of the human race, that there was this intent that men and women would be drawn together by a force so powerful, so powerful, in fact, powerful enough to cause them to leave their own families and make a commitment to a partner for life. Press pause just for a moment. Before I go any further, I said this last week. If you're here, please patience and grace just for a moment. I'm going to say it again this week. Because I share today with tremendous sensitivity and understanding that there are people here today or maybe participating online who have experienced the pain and brokenness of divorce, love, and loss and separation. I do want you to know that my heart is certainly not to create any guilt, any condemnation, or shame that's, that's happened in the past. What I do want to do is this. I want to build a foundation today, and last week, and next week, that we can build upon for our marriages in the future, that will not only last but will be God-honoring and generational changing. You see, we can't change the past, but we can be honest about what Scripture teaches us. And so with all that said and done, last week we ended on six reasons God created marriage. Well, we started with this, <laughs> and uh, we kind of ended this, the sermon. But the first one I started with was this, that marriage is the foundation for intimate companionship. One of the reasons God created, and we're answering the question, why? Why marriage? Why did God create this idea of mar marriage? Is the first reason we talked about, and we finished with this last week, that marriage is the foundation for intimate companionship. Just very briefly, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in uh, chapter 11, and he said this, that in God's plan, men and women need each other. And of course, if you are a man, we need women in our lives, appropriate relationships in our lives. And if you're a woman, 
You need men, appropriate male relationships in your life. And we kind of settled on the answer. It's because of this, that because nobody holds the full image of God on their own, in their own gender. And so together we are created in the image of God and we see God better together. Is that okay? Fantastic. The second thing, let's get into this now, back on track here. The second thing we're talking about is that God created marriage for the multiplication, you try saying that, (laughs) the multiplication of the human race. This is a good one, isn't it? This is a good one. Let's get into this because we all got here through multiplication. Not necessarily, I agree, through marriage, but it's God's plan and God's purpose for the world in which we live. Before I go any further, let's, let's do a bit of a background because the background looks a bit like this. In the Bible, the Bible says that God is love. God is love. That's who he is. It's a part of his character and it's a part of his nature. And the only reason that you and I are able to love is because the God first loved. Men and women have the capacity to love because we are made in the image of God and we need each other. And God created the universe because he wanted a family to love, knowing that some of us would choose to love him back and that we would live for him forever in eternity, in a place called heaven. Let's go right back. Genesis chapter 1 says this, verse 27 to 28 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Do you know what that means? I'll get to that in a moment. It says, Fill the earth and govern it. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. God's first command to the human race was to get married and have, I'm going to say it, and have sex. I said it. (laughs) Oh, by the way, this is the only command of God the human race have been able to keep. (laughs) The sex thing anyway. Speaking of that, speaking of that. I'm just going to share with you just very briefly what I'm going to share tonight. Um, We're in a series tonight called The Myth and Miracle of Dating, Sexuality and Marriage. We started dating part one last week. I'll continue that tonight, but I am going to go there tonight. I will not be holding back in helping answer the question why we as a church, why Christians believe that sex is reserved for marriage. In fact, I'm going to do a brief five-minute introduction to what we call the theology of sex, which means the origin of sex. We won't understand ourselves, we won't understand sex, we won't understand life unless we understand a theology of sex, which I'm talking about tonight. And by the way, I'm not just talking to young people. I want to speak to parents. I want to speak to aunties and uncles. I'd love to speak to grandparents. And of course, if you can't make our 5 p.m. service, it's in the auditorium. We had a record crowd last week in regards to uh, this particular subject. And so I'm inviting each and every one of us. And by the way, by the way, We have a very powerful story that you are going to hear tonight. I won't tell you who, but it's going to be a powerful story in regards to what we are talking about. Malachi chapter 2, that's tonight, 5 o'clock. If you can't make it, please get online and and, um, 
Let's learn together in regards to this. Malachi. Malachi says this. Uh, this is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, in his um, time, the community, they, uh, you know, um, standards had fallen south very, very quickly. His role as a minor prophet was to reestablish standards of excellence. And he said this, uh, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. And so, as we bring this point to a conclusion, the multiplication of the human race, God's idea, um, God had, has used this idea of marriage to populate um, earth, of course, but to populate heaven. Because he created us for intimate relationship with him, not just for now, but for Ever. Can I just, before I go to the next point, say this? I recognize that this is not everybody's story in regards to this point. And for you, for some of you here, maybe participating online this morning, this hurts. And all I can say this morning is that I can't imagine the pain that you must be carrying. The third point I'd like to go into this morning is another reason that God created marriage is, uh, number three, is the foundation. It's the foundation for raising children. You see, when you were born, you may have forgotten this now, but try to think back. When you were born, um, you and I were completely help helpless, weren't we? You know, we couldn't feed ourselves, we couldn't dress ourselves, we couldn't change ourselves, and we couldn't even blow our little noses, our honkers there, and so we were helpless. We were helpless, and God knew that children needed security, needed that safe environment where children would be brought up and, and nurtured and provided for and trained and guided along in life. Proverbs, the writer puts it this way, reverence for God gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of, say this with me, of refuge and security, of refuge and security. Isn't that what every child needs growing up? Refuge and security, not worrying about if mum's going to hang around, not concerned about the future, if dad's going to be around in the future. Author and psychologist Dan Allender writes this, every child grows up asking two core questions. Number one, am I loved and can I always get my own way? Two core questions, he says. He goes on and says, Parents must remove any doubt that lingers in any child's mind about these two core questions. The single greatest need in the life of a child is to be what? Irrationally loved by their parents. Not warmly appreciated, not generally accepted, not barely to tolerated, but irrationally loved. And the research is very clear on this. I'm sure many of you have done this, and if not, feel free to do your own research, as I have done, and studies are very clear that children develop best in a stable family environment. It's as simple as that. They grow up healthier and stronger in that environment. So marriage is the strong foundation where children grow up with that sense of refuge and security with that sense of safety and a lifetime commitment between their parents. God created marriage, number one, what? The in, for intimate companionship, 
Yeah? Number two, for the multiplication of the human race. And number three, as the foundation, the foundation of raising children. Number four, we move on. We're going to love this one. For the perfection of our character. The perfection of our character. Every now and then, I don't know about you, but we take, we take our cars in for a what? Every six months or so, maybe every 12 months. We take our car in for a service. Very good. What do they do with our cars when our cars are in a, having a service? They lift the bonnet, don't they? And they kind of tinker around, yeah? They kind of tinker around and they pull this and pull that. They pull this in, they drain that. And that's what happens in a marriage. <laughs> Is that a good illustration or not? <laughs> that's what happens, isn't it? Sometimes every <laughs> week few weeks, months, there's a bit of twinkering going on that kind of <clears throat> makes us better for the road of marriage. And so not only were we helpless when we were born, we were self-centered. <laughs> and a baby doesn't have the capacity to think about anyone else. All they're cared about is whether they're too cold or too hot or they're hungry or they are dirty. <laughs> it's all about me. That's the cry of a baby. That's all about me. And maturity is that it's time to grow up and realize, in fact, it's not about me because in a marriage, I can no longer think just about me. I have to think about we. We. And so your spouse helps build that character because every day you get that opportunity to not just think about you. And so marriage is one of God's greatest discipleship tools in life. And while marriage is designed for us to learn and to love, I get that, it, is also, it also demands that we grow up in Christ to learn how to live uh, to do life like a child of God, training us in the character of God. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says, It's selfish. <laughs> it's selfish and stupid to think only of yourself. That's why the elders, myself, we, we made it very clear in our mission statement. This is our mission. This is who we are. This is what God's called us to be. To be what? To be Jesus-centered and others-focused. Others focused. Jesus centered, others focused. And what we've done is we, we've confused happiness with holiness. You see, being holy makes you happy, not the other way around. Chasing happiness is a bit like chasing a butterfly. You can kind of never get it. And that's not what God's design for marriage is. That's what for holiness is. In fact, you become these things once you decide that step of holiness path to be Jesus-centered. It's God's purpose, it's God's plan that we become holy in that. And by doing that, we become happy. Others focus. And guess what? After 21 years of marriage with my wife, I know that love washes the dishes. Ladies, help me, come on. I know that love vacuums. Yeah, come on ladies, help me. I know that love cooks meals. Amen. I know that loves gives, love gives the wife the remote control at least once a week. <laughs> 
Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Try to think back, for those of us who are married, when you were single, when I was single, I never daydreamed about becoming the perfect person for someone. What I daydreamed about was finding the perfect person for me. And of course, when I met Karen, I thought she was and is the perfect person for me. But the problem here with that is that when we hand our box of hopes and dreams and desires to someone to fulfill that those hopes and dreams and expectations, it feels like an expectation on their behalf. In order to keep these hopes and dreams alive and keep them from feeling like an expectation on their behalf, you and I, we have to make that decision. And the fundamental decision you need to make is she does not owe me. He does not owe me. Yes, this is what I desire but I'm not expecting him or her to fulfill that. And so I make the decision that I owe her everything and I am owed nothing in return. (laughs) What was the point? God created marriage for what? For the perfection. He's creating something beautiful in you each and every day in your marriage. God created marriage for the perfection of our character. Romans 12 says to love sincerely, hate evil, hold on to what is good, be devoted to each other like a loving family, excel in showing respect for each other. God created marriage. Number five is for the construction of society. If you were to ask anybody in our community this question, why do you think marriage exists? <laughs> That's what we're looking at last week and today. Why does marriage exist? We're asking the question, why? I wonder what some of the answers would be. These are God's idea for marriage. The fifth one is the construction of society. Marriage is the fundamental building block of every community, church, state, nation, society, and culture. And if you know your history, if you look back in history when marriages were strong, guess what else was strong? Cultures and nations were strong. And society is built, the construction of society is built. Proverbs 14.34 says, righteousness, the word righteousness, doing it God's way, what is right, righteousness lifts up a nation. But sin is a disgrace in any society. Let's go to the final one. And this is the most, this is the deepest And this is the most profound reason for marriage, that God created marriage for the reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. And I think this is where we might come undone a bit. The reflection of Christ. What does that mean, Steve? What does that mean? Let's Let's have a look at this, because marriage is a metaphor. It's a symbol of how much God loves us so much and that we are created to be in relationship with him. In fact, I'm not going to say this. I'm going to let God's holy word teach us this. And it's summed up in Ephesians chapter 5. It says this. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and he wrote this. For husbands, this means love your wives. 
just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? goes on and he says this. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. What did he do? He gave up everything. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a what? A glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy. She will be without fault. And so in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. I'm going to take that apart tonight and next Sunday night, what one really means. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife. You get any idea what Paul's trying to say here? Love his wife and he love, as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. We just gave a book this morning to an annually engaged couple entitled Love and Respect. She needs to know that she is loved. He needs to know he is respected. And that's what the word is saying here. What does it say? So again, I say each man love his wife as he loves himself as the wife must respect her husband. Listen, listen, listen. This is key. This is a vital insight for us. In other words, what's happening here is that marriage is a model of a profound spiritual truth. A profound spiritual truth. Christ and the church is God's eternal purpose. It's an eternal purpose. You see, when Jesus says, a man shall leave his wife, and mother and two become one, what he's doing here is he's giving a prophetic view of all eternity, of Christ and the church, of the bride and the groom. In Revelation 19, 7 verse 8, this is the language of marriage. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. Revelation, a dream, hard to understand. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her, given her to wear. You see, that is our eternal destiny. We are capable, yes, of physical expressions of intimacy because, yes, we have been made male and female. But that's a type. But this is a picture This is a picture, and it's a picture of something. It's a picture, not just of physical intimacy, but of spiritual intimacy for which you and I have been ultimately being created for. Yes, 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 there have benefits, of course, of marriage that are obvious and that we can measure. We've already talked about this this last couple of weeks, what it does to children, what it does to women, what it does to men, what it does to society. But the Bible is teaching us here right now that there is no other relationship on earth that can adequately illustrate our union with Christ the way a marriage between a man and a woman does because we are the body of Christ. 
that we are the bride of Christ and it's in union with Christ and marriage, guess what? It's a metaphor. It's a symbol. And despite the statistics, despite out of, how, out of fashion throughout history it's going to be, it will experience its ups and downs. But guess what? The institution of marriage is here to stay. Why? Because it's God's idea and it's still His intent today. One final word, and it's this. Before I pray and we go into a time, we share a meal together. I'll explain the meal just in a moment. Our marriages will represent one of the greatest challenges in this life. It's not easy. It can be a wonderful gift, the same reason no relationship is easy, of course. Why? Because it involves two broken people. The only force, the only force that holds sinners together, broken people together in relationship is this word. That's the only force that can hold it together. The only place to go for this force is to God Himself. It's to God. And I'm inviting you to do that this morning because this is the relationship that helps make all other relationships work. And life requires grace for everybody, doesn't it? For married people, for separated people, for single people. And guess what? The Bible teaches us that God, your Father, our Father who art in heaven, He has more than enough grace for your life. And so, it's decision time. It's decision time. I'm inviting you to make a decision today as you move forward, each and every single one of us. And it's this. Because when it comes to life, we're all a bit needy. We all have needs. We all have needs. And guess what? In a marriage, needs don't always get met. Why? Because there is no human being, husband or wife, that can meet all of your intimate needs at the deepest level in your life. There are only some needs that only God can meet. Only God can meet. Those core needs are intended to be in relationship with Him and Him alone. Marriage was designed to give us a picture of Him, a picture of relationship, of what it's like, what Christ's relationship with the church is. It wasn't designed to give us everything only God can give. And so the fundamental decision we need to make is to return to God for the foundational needs of our life. And so marriage, it's an element of life. It's not the meaning of life. Knowing and loving Jesus is the meaning of your life. And so right now, right now, as all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, I'm praying a prayer for you to make a decision, to open your heart. We are made physically, yes, it's a type, it's a part of the way God designed us for. But He designed us for Himself, for intimacy. I'm opening this a little bit more tonight. But this is the relationship, you and Him forever and ever. This is the relationship that helps make all other relationships work. And this morning, 
Just as we saw that picture of grey being baptised at Coraline, that could be your picture. I'm not saying overnight, but I'm inviting you into a living, loving relationship with your Creator right now. And if that's you, you've never said yes to your King and Creator. You've never received forgiveness, for you know that you are broken. And you need to receive Him the way Christ receives the church. And it's time you walk into that fulfilling relationship once and for all. If that's you and you just would like me to pray, just a quick prayer. I won't mention your name. I won't even mention where you sit. The most important part here is that God sees your heart and you're responding to Him and to Him alone. To receive the Savior. Katie talked about that Savior. Have you received Him as your Savior? If that's you this morning, you just want to quickly just raise your hand right across this auditorium to receive that Savior for the first time in your heart and your life. If that is you here this morning, just quickly raise your hand up. I'll include you in this prayer. As we go in to share this meal together, you've received Him for the first time. You are confessing, yes, I am broken, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior once and for all. If that is you here this morning, would you just raise your hand wherever you might be in this auditorium. Respond to Him and to Him alone this morning. Thank you. Father, once again, you see the heart's of people you see us so intimately. You are intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And, and Father, I pray for each and every person who has responded to you, maybe in their heart here this morning, maybe hands have been lifted where I haven't seen here this morning. But Father, you would flood each and every heart and life with your grace, with your grace. For young people who are beginning to explore this mystery of love and attraction, Lord, Bring great wisdom, we pray, and a strong inner sense of their value and their self-worth. Lord, I want to bring each parent before you right now. Pray that you would grant them guidance and patience and insight into how to talk about issues. For marriages where there's pain, where there's hiddenness, maybe where there's distance, that you're able to do what we cannot do. And for singles, Lord, I lift each one before you. Maybe there are some here who'd love to be married. Maybe here who, there are some who, are, who feel left out. And we lift and we bring our hearts and we long to be a community alive and tender-hearted by your grace and your grace alone. And it's in Jesus' name. And Lord, also as we come into this time, we share this meal together as we take this bread and this biscuit. It reminds us of the body of Jesus. It reminds us that, first of all, he was broken and beaten for, for us, for our sins. It reminds us of our brokenness. But we could walk in because of this. We could walk in healing. We could walk in wholeness and mercy and freedom. <laughs> freedom. And so we take the juice, which reminds us of Jesus shed blood for us upon the cross. And so we don't have to walk in fear and shame and condemnation anymore. We can walk confidently in the forgiveness and mercy and calling that you have upon our lives. Thank you for these next few moments where we can stop. We can remember and give thanks for you are a good, good father. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen and amen.